You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum. You're listening to Radio Ramadan 365. You're listening to Millennium Discourses. My name is Sajjad Ayyub. We'll be discussing the Millennium Discourses as a 20-part series by Etzko Skatema. Etzko is a Shadli Sheikh, uh, a teacher of the Shadli tradition. He's also founder of the skatemagroup.com, where enhancement of human excellence in leadership training and management consulting to organizations. It's been run for the last 30 years. Um, and... I'm Sajjad Ayyub, your host, and I'm an aspiring author, business development strategist, and life coach. And we look forward to, for you to join us for the next 20 series of Millennium Discourses. Millennium Discourses is a collection of discourses that was put together in the year 2000 by Sheikh Ibrahim. It's important aspects of our relationship to self and how we believe ourselves to be in the year 2000. Welcome to Millennium Discourses with Sujat Ayyub and Etsuko Skatema. This is part one of a 20-part series discussing Millennium Discourses, which is a profound book written by Etsuko Skatema. So firstly, let me welcome Etsuko. Hi there, Etsuko. How are you today? Very well, thank you. And you? I'm very well, thank you. What I want to do is to first open up um, and just give the audience a little bit of background of who you are and, and what you've done. Um, so you're an anthropologist, uh, an author of several, several books. Uh, you've run a leadership organization called the Skatema Group based out of South Africa, Johannesburg, I take it. Mm -hmm. And you've been doing that for the past 30 years. You've worked primarily in the mining industry, but you've worked right ac across the board for corporate companies uh, around the world in different areas of business to discuss transformation and leadership and how leadership is performed and the basis of leadership. And your book here, Millennium Discourses, really goes into the, the spirituality side of things and how that marries up with leadership. But it's your views and it's a very interesting book And if we could kick off from discussing what those are. Please. Bismillah. Bismillah. So the, the first chapter, which is Ikra, reading the text, mm. uh, you mentioned, what do you mean by when you say our freedoms lie in our capability to be still? So Johnson, we have two modalities of operating as human beings. The one is, is one where we are concerned with what we want to get. Um, uh, and you can refer to that use of our attention as predatory, predatory attention. Um, and then we have another way of using our attention, which is really more concerned with what's coming towards us. And you can call that receptive attention. And um, the, 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 we, we really, we, we underutilize our receptive attention massively. 
we actually aren't required to work nearly as hard at being alive as we do because our lives demonstrably work by genius which is not our own it is Allah's genius and we don't allow things to happen part of what keeps our our predatory attention alive is this ongoing commentary that we have about the world so we're in a sense you know just like you cannot read a book if you're busy still having an argument with your spouse in your head so too you can't read the text that Allah is unfolding in front of you if your mind is preoccupied with all sorts of um, other things so uh, the the what makes it possible for you to pay attention to the text that is unfolding in front of you is your capacity to be still to silence your internal dialogue because that that enables you to uh, to operationalize your receptive attention and not your predatory attention. It makes it possible for you to start seeing what's there rather than just picking out the few datum points that confirm your prejudices or your own agenda. I mean, this is then obviously being able to, uh, this is the, consistent with the distinction between pursuing your own agenda and foregoing your own, own agenda so that you can see, you know, what is the divine agenda. Thank you for that. And then if this leads me on to the second question, which is, what do you understand by the inner dialogue? Why is that, that important in the context of following the spiritual path? Uh, you know, if, if one walks down the road, um, mm. uh, if one kind of, if, if you, if, if one could have um, uh, uh, this uh, sort of some instrument that you could insert through somebody's ear and see what's going on in their head you'd be horrified because we cannot it's almost impossible for a human being to walk through their day-to-day -day life without an ongoing commentary about the world they're walking through mm. and what's even more distressing is very often the commentary that they have about the world that they're walking through says nothing about the world it says everything about their own prejudices about the world. So for instance, if you and I, let's say for instance, um, you, are a, you are a person who is, has a great interest in culinary stuff. You cook and you bake and, and I am a person who, who, on the other hand, I'm interested in cars. Um, as we walk down the road, we might be walking down the road shoulder to shoulder but your eye will sort of keep on going, you know, wandering into the storefronts that have got food associated with them. And, and my eyes will be wandering through into the storefronts that have got cars behind them. Hmm. By the time we walk to the end of the road and we describe the roads to each other, there'd be foreign discussions. They wouldn't make sense. It's like we haven't walked down the same road. So, so the, the, the world that we see, the world that we experience is as much a reflection of what we designate to be significant in the world than what it is about the world. And the louder that commentary is on the world that we walk through, the less of the world we actually see. So, so in a sense, um, uh, we, we, we are, our internal dialogue produces the condition where we, in a sense, we become blind. I mean, we don't see things as they are. 
And what's also distressing about our internal dialogue is that it also keeps our conditional motive in place because it keeps our conditioning in place. You know, I mean, uh, your commentary about the world that you're walking through, actually, you know, where does that come from? Well, it has a biographical basis. It's got a historical basis. Mm -hmm. It's what you have learned to find interesting over a period of time for whatever reason. Either you are traumatized by something or it's just your cultural habit, you know? And so as you're walking down the road, your commentary is actually rehearsing to yourself your own prejudices and your biographic account of things and your own conditioning. And this path that we're on is actually a path of learning how to transcend our conditioning and our conditional motive. So we don't act in the situation on the basis of what we want, but we act in a situation on the basis of what Allah wants. That ability to suspend your own agenda, to act on the basis of what Allah wants from you rather than what you want in, in the situation that you're in, is also simultaneously a process of transcending your own conditional motive your own, and your, therefore your own conditioning. So our, our internal dialogue keeps our conditioning in place. It is our conditioning that produces the conditions where we, we're only interested in what we want from life. And we are therefore, we're, we're, we're like, we're sort of, we're, we're hungry, blind people at a feast. We, uh, so somebody's put us at the corner of a table where the only thing that we can sort of see to eat is that which immediately touches our hands. We don't see the feast that's been put in front of us because we're completely restricted, blinkered by our own, we're blinded by our own conditioning. We only see the little piece that's in front of us that we think that is interesting and there's just so much more for us so this thing of silencing internal dialogue is an immensely important skill and 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 um, transcending your internal dialogue what's very important about this is that it's it, first of all it, it it is an incremental process um because um uh, you know, very often people, when they start doing inner practice, they get very judgmental of themselves because they, they find that they're struggling with this. You know, I really battle with the problem of becoming quiet. Um, so uh, one needs patience with oneself because this is silencing the internal dialogue is too harsh a framing of what we want to do. We actually want to quieten it. We need to find the, the, the volume setting. So that there's less going on in your head. And how, how does one do that? Well, so I think all of the practices of the Dean actually have that effect. Um, most profoundly, your Salah has that effect. Um, uh, you know, because if one understands what one's trying to do with any mindfulness practice, is that you're, you're, you're basically trying to shift your attention from outcome into process. You're not doing the thing just to get to the outcome or to the result. You're doing the thing to do it well. And that's very important with Salah. I mean, if you're just standing on the Masala in order to get off the Masala, then you can't really be said to be worshipful. You know, I'm doing this so that I can get my father done and get on with my day. You know, but if you're standing on the masala in order to be worshipful, it basically means that you are you're standing as if you are in the presence of the Rab, and you are you are deliberately doing things um, as carefully as you can, 
giving due attention to the process rather than just the outcome. You don't just do things to get them done. You do things in order to do them well. Now, the most extraordinary thing happens when you, when you dedicate your attention to doing things to do them well, it engages enough of your attention for your internal dialogue to get quieter. So if you, if you, anything that you've done like in that spirit, everything that you've done in the spirit of savoring has the effect of making, getting you quieter. Uh, so uh, uh, you can eat a meal like that. You can, you know, and 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 so so I so salah is I think one of the most one, one of the most wonderful tools that we have as uh, as Muslims. And I mean, I, they, I mean, I I don't know the science of this. I'm sure there must be, but there has to be a physiological effect to sajda. I mean, there's you know, there's just sort of getting more blood into your brain must have an effect. Um, just the, the the postures have an effect. I mean, um, the postures also have an effect to quiet. I mean, sajda particularly has an effect in, in quieting your internal dialogue because it is a gesture of submission, and submission means I forego my agenda. I give up. You know, in fact, takbir is a giving up. You know, literally, I give up. It's right. a, I surrender. I mean, so so the whole the whole the whole of the the, the process of the salah is a dance of surrender. And the moment you surrender, you're giving up your own conditional motive. You're giving up the thing that you're trying to achieve. And that then immediately gets you to just be quieter. So disengages your predatory attention and it engages your receptive attention. The nature of receptive attention is that it's, it's, it, is, it, is, it, it is less noisy. It is less less hungry and less desirous, mm -hmm. less heated than what right. predatory attention is. Thank you for that. Uh, third question is, what do you mean about dealing with something from the possibility of what you can contribute and what's the difference? So we're, we're, we're alive. The reason why we're alive is to be worshipful. That means to say that our lives celebrate the fact that there is a supreme genius who is the master of all events, who is the custodian of our lives. And that is why we're alive. We're alive for that celebration. We're alive to be worshipful. Now, um, you just repeat the question again. I got myself distracted okay. from What do you mean? about dealing with something from the possibility of what can be what you can contribute and what's the difference. Right, right, okay, I beg your pardon. So, so um, uh, this acting on the basis of what you can contribute is by definition foregoing the outcome that you want to manage yourself. In other words, you, if the, we have these two possibilities, what do I want to get? And what can I give? You know, um, in order to act on the basis of what I can give, I've got to suspend, supersede what I want to get. I'm going to supersede my own personal agenda. You know? Now, why do I supersede my own personal agenda? Because my being has been designed in such a way that actually, as soon as I quieten that down, I see that his agenda is far more magnificent than my own. 
And how do I galvanize, if you like, set that insight as if I act accordingly? In other words, if I'm in the situation and I act on the basis of what he wants from me rather than what I want to get, I not only then, in order to be able to act on the basis of what he wants from me, I need to uh, quieten my own expectations. I need to sign it, you know, so that I can be, have enough of me available to see what he wants. And also, I've got to act on the basis of what he wants, of what's the right thing to do here, what I can give. The moment I do that, I then set in, it's like, it's like a, it's, you know, I don't know if you've made, um, as a child, ever played with resins at all, and kind of, uh, so you have, you know, that you kind of sort of um, uh, cast things in, like like coins and so on, you put them in like this, rub, this is the resin, I don't know what, with the, but like, no, it's like an amber, it looks like amber, you know, yeah. Right, right. So, so, so um, for, the, the, for that to work, you need to, you've got the resin, which is liquid, and you put a catalyst in it. The catalyst galvanizes the thing and then will sort of sets it. And then you have a hardened object. Then yeah. the thing becomes set. The transformations in your being become set, mm. like resin gets set with a catalyst. When you do the catalytic thing uh, of acting consistently with the insight of what he wants from you. So it's not just good enough to silence your internal dialogue to see what's coming to us so you can read the text. You've also got to act accordingly. And so so, so the, the transformation is only set when you act consistently with what you should be contributing or giving in the situation rather than your own conditional motive of what you want to get. Mm. Thank you for that question. The next one is, what do you mean by acting consistent, consistently with the courtesy of the situation? It's kind of similar to what you said earlier on. That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, there's a, this thing of courtesy is a very helpful thing in our, on, a, on our path, because it's about... I mean, to be courteous has to suggest restraint. You don't just act as you like. Mm. And you act on the basis of what, what is appropriate in the situation that you're in. And we know from our tradition that every, um, every situation, you know, from the Rasul Sahib, every situation has its courtesy, has a sense of what's the appropriate thing to do here. Um, but in order to be courteous, you first got to see the requirements of the situation. Which means to say that you've suspended what you want out of the situation for long enough so that you can see what the situation requires of you, so that you can then act. So if you think about this in terms of um, uh, just uh, a basic kind of interaction between two people, you know, um, um, you, must have had, you must have had the experience of, of trying to explain something to somebody and that person answering you back before you finish speaking. I think this is a very common experience, particularly for married people. This is a common experience. Now, now I think this thing of speaking back and not hearing the other person out is almost a primary attribute of discourtesy. Yeah. Not being respectful enough to withhold what I want to say for long enough to actually hear you out to hear what you have to say. That suggests 
is happening. Let's say, for instance, I'm, you're trying to explain something to me and I keep on finishing your sentence for you and you try again and I answer you back. I mean, this is a really, really miserable experience. Clearly, from your point of view, there's two agendas in the room. There's my agenda and there's your agenda. And insofar as I'm answering, so the question is, well, what do you want me to do with my agenda before I'm in the position to give attention to your agenda? Well, actually, I have to suspend my agenda. So listening means you are able to forego, suspend, shut up your agenda in order to give attention to the agenda of the other in the situation that you're in. The capacity to listen is almost one of the first attributes of courtesy, of respectfulness. And it requires you to suspend your agenda for the agenda of the other in the situation that you're in. You can describe the ability to give as the ability to suspend your agenda for the agenda of the other in the situation that you're in. So this thing of respectfulness is very important. It also, it celebrates the, almost the, the, the highest attribute of being human because as we indicated before, being human is our unique charge is to be the worshipful ones, the ones who choose to be worshipful. I mean, there are ones who are, who are worshipful like angels, but they, know, they don't have no choice about it. We've got this unique capacity that we can choose to be worshipful. Mm. Now, worship, being worshipful means that in awe, you're amazed by other than yourself. I mean, the, the inverse, the opposite of worship being worshipful. I mean, so if I'm worshipful, I'm saying that's amazing. That I'm in awe of other, of something over there. If I'm in awe of myself, if I say I'm amazing, I'm by definition not elevating, granting significance to other than me. I'm granting significance to myself, which means I'm denigrating, uh, trivializing what isn't me such a way where you elevate the self and trivialize the other or you're in the world in such a way where you elevate the other and by by definition if you like transcend the desire for significance to the self because we we have to understand we aren't the, the, the fundamental rule of courtesy the fundamental rule of other is that in every situation you grant significance to the other in the situation that you're in Sheikh Saab, thank you so much uh, for taking your time and, and answering those questions. I think we're running out of time. And right. we look forward to joining with you again for our second discourse. Thank you. Thank you.